withdrawal from life, so to speak. And uh, we have written that we have we have also read the rare sutra which adds to this and which says that in the same way we can act upon all the other five senses and I have given an example with meditating on sound performing samyama on sound as we do in Laya Yoga for the corresponding accomplishment now we are ready to go to another suggestion of Samyama as described by Patanjali in the Sutra number 21 he says karma is of two kinds quick or active and slow or dormant by performing Samyama on them knowledge of the time of death is gained also by omens here Patanjali gives another difficult Samyama because it's again a bit of an abstract meditation while before he had been turning to something which were having as object of concentration and later of samyama uh, an object which were more concrete now he suddenly turns to karma it's like how can you meditate upon karma meditating upon karma which is active and karma which is passive and the, actually the great texts of yoga and some very scholarly comments of yoga sutra they even come up to mentioning three types of karma out of which Patanjali here mentions just two basically how do you identify those types of karma these things can be also held there is an intermediary link between the first part and the second part of his sutra because in the second part he says also also this is possible by omens the science of omens or synchronicities is vastly developed in the Svara yoga in a mysterious form of yoga very difficult to comprehend by the fact that everything is synchronized with everything the moment when a certain idea pops up in your head is related to the stars and it is not a coincidence that an idea comes to you right now and not tomorrow or not yesterday and therefore every idea which comes to our mind every remembrance every piece of news that you hear every other thing like this which comes spontaneously is actually uh, not that spontaneous because in the big picture it is actually synchronized with the spheres of the universe the most obvious illustration of these movements of the universal spheres is of course astrology because we see the movements of the spheres through the movements of the orbs of the planets and the other cosmic realities that we see that is why there are here three levels actually the omens as pure synchronicities the most idiotic type of omen which was considered to have some relevance in some primitive cultures is that you walk and a black, a black cat is crossing your path and some people are superstitious actually it is good to know that the word superstition is coming from the Latin superstatus and actually that does not mean a lower state of consciousness it means a higher state of consciousness 
But unfortunately, that higher state of consciousness from which those omens became significant has been lost and the humanity has preserved only the vague uh, things such as I'm having an itch in my left palm or I'm having an itch in my right palm or I'm having a tremor in my left eyelid or I'm having a tremor in my right eyelid or I don't know what happened and at the same time when I said something I tripped and fell down and why are all these events synchronized in certain ways the science of Svara Yoga says that they are related the explanation of this finds it can be found in the second level and that is the movement of the stars the theory is way too vast and it is beyond the purpose of Yoga Sutra actually Yoga Sutra does not touch this subject uh, more than passingly in this Samyama and a couple of Samyamas which I am going to mention later that is why I do not intend to open such a huge parenthesis to start now talking about the elements in astrology and some other elements in Svara Yoga and synchronicities. So, do you have to do something? Do you want me to stop? I'm waiting for one minute. camera being one of our many many synchronicities which we always have
surrender to this synchronicity. So we actually have here, as I said, because it's being recorded in audio at least, we have here three levels. The level of the omens which are not explained but are just interpreted. Like, I know that this omen means this, I know that this synchronicity means yes or no, I know that this is generally good and this is generally bad, and it's like I don't understand these synchronicities, I don't know from where they come, some of them sound completely batty or stupid, and yet at the same time I know that these omens do have some meaning. The next level of understanding is understanding the astrological basis, understanding the ways in which karma moves, understanding the laws which govern these things and which are studied a lot in Svara Yoga, as I said. This is already a level which is half intuition, half yogic intuitive level and half reason or science. Half of it is mathematical and half of it is based on a superior type of intuition. And finally, the third level which is the completely mystical level is the level mentioned by Patanjali here in which he says that the meditation on the different types of karma two or three, it doesn't matter. Mostly he mentions the active one and the latent one. And he says, by performing samyama on them, knowledge of the time of death is gained. And then he says, also by omens. This would be the superior method. Technically speaking, a yogi having reached this level of samyama, should be able to discover in advance the moment of death. Some yoga texts claim that this thing will happen with just with six months in advance. Some yoga texts claim that once you can know it, you can know it way before six months. Uh, of course, the whole point is if you bother to do this samyama. As you know, probably, and those of you who have been in the Art of Dying workshops know that much better for the spiritual seekers the knowledge of the time of death is a great advantage because actually being able to die prepared being able to die in a controlled manner is actually a great great benefit and that is why this story or among the few things which Patanjali mentions here in the Yoga Sutra he mentions this one in particular. Like, why would this one be so important? Because the spiritual seekers, among other things, they consider that the knowledge of the moment of death is truly important, because if you know, for example, 20 days before that you are going to die, and you purify yourself, and you do all the necessary preparations, and you meditate, and you do all the necessary things, you can improve the quality of your meditation in death and dying at least ten times over to what would have been if suddenly death would have surprised you in action in the middle of your daily life. And therefore, uh, of course, knowing the moment of death would be a great, a gigantic advantage from the standpoint of spiritual seekers. 
that is why Patanjali considers that this is a worthy achievement and therefore he recommends it he recommends according to his understanding a type of Samyama which will give you access to that level technically speaking therefore meditating upon karma starting even from the abstract levels the third level is the so-called inborn karma a kind of background karma with which each one has started their cycle of evolution so meditating on the inborn karma meditating on the active karma which you can meditate upon because the active karma is what makes you be what you are for example the fact that you are a man or a woman is an active karma which made you that the fact that you are so or so is an active karma and then there is the latent karma the karma which will manifest in a year or ten or a hundred and that can also be inferred pretty well because you know since I'm put in this situation then the natural result of this course of life and of this course of action is most probably that can there be surprises? surely there can be surprises that's why this is not a simple thing but basically Patanjali here recommends meditating on these three types of karma until the level of performing samyama with them and then it's like the picture becomes clear he claims he however mentions as alternative to that the omen which means if he mentions the first method the most esoteric and the third method which is the most exoteric the one by omen he automatically involves the one in the middle he says from this method which I describe now which is Samyama on the different levels of karma and going all the way down till the level of omens which is truly the most primitive but even that one can say something so therefore it says that Patanjali considers that um, some of this knowledge can be aided with the other knowledge for example the great prophet of the middle ages Michael of Nostradamus commonly known as Nostradamus the common, this great clairvoyant at the same time although he was having the visions from the future and he was stimulating those visions by performing different forms of Trataka by focusing on fire for example at the same time he was a very good astrologer and that is why very often when he sees an image from the future he says when the moon is in the Cancer and uh, Jupiter is in the Aquarius and Mars is in a fiery sign he doesn't mention which of them there would be three of them then and he starts describing a circumstance which means he synchronizes a vision uh, an act of clairvoyance a perception which is very much like a result of Samyama on karmas his other people's karmas it doesn't matter even the karma of the world of the society of the country in which he lives and so on he synchronizes that with astrology so he is using astrology as a crutch as a, an in, as a helper 
in, in this way he stabilizes his vision at the same time there are of course there is also the level of omen so about these things uh, it simply says that Patanjali in, involves in this sutra that Samyama over the levels of karma meditating on karma can be also aided propped by knowledge of astrology of svara and the study of omens and synchronicities and in this way you can actually accelerate this process that is why for a human being who doesn't understand truly how should I meditate on the latent karma and active karma yes I can think a lot about what would be active karma in my life what would be latent karma in my life and so on but uh, that's a very very primitive level it sounds very slippery it's like I can't catch the whole thing at the same time Patanjali says you can support yourself with omens some of them are spontaneous omens some of them are provoked omens like in Yoga Sutra they had also I'm sorry in Svara Yoga they had also an art of producing omens uh, in various ways and in between them also the level of astrology of studying these things with the help of astrology Obviously, these things are related then with the power of time. They are related a lot with Vishuddha Chakra. So this shows that this is a Samyama, which is related with Vishuddha Chakra and partly with Ajna Chakra. The astrological things and the synchronicities are in their smaller level related to Vishuddha Chakra and the higher level of this study together with the full clairvoyance is related to Ajna Chakra and that is why this Samyama is related with elements of those two chakras and uh, there is no need to say more at this point it is if you decide to go into Samyama on those levels then you should start studying at the same time the proper types of astrology the omens and other synchronicities to be able to develop this much faster exception made if you are very gifted in Ajna Chakra and Vishuddha already and you have a spontaneous understanding of these things without really understanding where it comes from uh, however you can help yourself unless you have that uh, understanding already you can help yourself with the practice of astrology Svara Yoga omens and other things for getting a kind of foothold for somehow managing to accelerate your progress into this sort of Samya then he says by performing Samyama in the Sutra number 22 he describes another one this time a Samyama which is psychological it is based on the astral body by performing Samyama on friendliness etc there come those particular powers friendliness, compassion, happiness and indifference are the four tendencies which a yogi has been advised to cultivate and they were described in the first chapter those of you who still remember the first chapter from Yoga Sutra remember that uh, Patanjali was describing four main emotions of friendliness, compassion, happiness and indifference like indifference to vice, happiness to virtue, friendliness and uh, the others to various 
emotions to various conditions that we meet in life and because of this um, those are mentioned again it's not because when he says by performing some yama on friendliness etc that's the typical Sanskrit scholarly way of saying all four of them but we don't want to mention all four of them because it's a waste of ink and paper and therefore we mention the first one it's exactly like I would say by focusing on sattva etc it means sattva, rajas, tamas everybody knows what comes together with sattva so therefore by performing some yama on friendliness and so on there come those particular powers therefore uh, he basically describes here an astral type of samyama to perform samyama on friendliness on compassion on happiness on indifference such as let's say you perform samyama on happiness in respect to virtue you are happy for when you see what he describes as virtue as morality as a harmony of yama and niyama if you prefer therefore uh, he simply says we obtain those particular powers here the mention is not very clear because here the meaning is double and the different comments over the text are going in those two directions but basically it simply says another level of performing samyama is to identify yourself with an emotion and those four are like four headlines they are the four most indicated type of emotions to have friendliness for the attitude of some to have compassion for the attitude of some to have happiness for the attitude of some and to have indifference which I would rather replace by the word detachment because again uh, the, the word detachment is a very difficult word all in all he means detachment because the last one indifference it refers to vice and it means if other people are vicious in the meaning of vice ridden then you should be indifferent like if you see for example that somebody is cultivating virtue you should cultivate friendliness you should cultivate happiness therefore you see that for example somebody is called let's say I don't know is doing a tapas a moral tapas somebody tries to respect to observe ahimsa or somebody is trying to observe a moral or ethical virtue or somebody is doing tapas that's one of them after all it's one of the yamas and niyamas and what is your attitude to those your attitude is of friendliness and at the same time your attitude is of happiness it pleases you to see that somebody else cultivates virtue and when somebody cultivates non-virtue then what is your correct attitude to it he most authors translate it as indifference which is actually detachment but I leave sometimes the word indifference come there because it makes a good point that good point simply says you do not copy that thing unfortunately it's a very very well known thing that if somebody has ten qualities and one defect the people will copy the defect 
they will never see the qualities. They will always copy the defect. The defect, the vice, goes much faster than the quality because the qualities are uphill and everybody who says, oh, I would like to be generous or loving like Walter, uh, it's difficult to be generous and loving like Walter. But on the other hand, Walter is, uh, I don't know, let's say, Walter is late all the time and then automatically that I can do that I can do because that's actually downhill it takes no effort from me to imitate something bad it would take a lot of effort to imitate something good that's anti-entropic that's evolutive that's uphill but actually the one which is downhill oh the one that one is so easy to imitate that is why often people find excuses if somebody is corrupt everybody gets corrupt if somebody does I don't know what thing, everybody starts doing it. If somebody, because people say, what do you mean? That person gets away with it and gets to do it and I don't do it. If he does it, then why shouldn't we all do it? That's the general mentality. If that guy gets away with this or with that, it means we should all do it because why does he think he is smarter than us? Actually, this is copying a negative trait and that would mean that you would be friendly or happy when somebody does something bad. And actually, a uh, recent study, there is a wonderful film being published a few years ago which is called Stupidity. It's worth seeing it. It's a movie about stupidity. And it simply says that people, it's a psychological study which shows that in cinema, in television and everything else, People love stupidity. People don't love intelligence because intelligence makes people feel bad. It makes them feel inferior. People like to see Charlie Chaplin tripping and falling face forward in a pool of mud. And then your mind says, oh, what a jerk, what an idiot. That makes you feel good because you would never be that stupid, as stupid as that. That is why actually stupidity is propagated. It becomes propagated by the media and the television. And the more stupid the heroes, the better we feel actually. We even have to choose a stupid president in the end just to feel better to say if the village idiot has become a president it means everybody can do it. It, me it makes me feel good. And unfortunately this attitude is actually an attitude where you instead of being indifferent like I see somebody doing something bad. You know what? Let them do it. You know, maybe they go to hell with it or whatever. I don't know. I turn my back completely and I say I don't want to be part of that. I want to completely separate from that. This is what he meant and that's why I allowed the word indifference to be here. Although originally the meaning will be detachment. But detachment has the sub-meaning that when you are detached you are still very involved as I so often told about Mahatma Gandhi and all the other people who were detached but not indifferent. Therefore, being detached, if I would say when you see vice, when you are confronted to vice, you should be detached, you would say, oh yeah, detached means that I... Uh, 
am separating from it, but at the same time I am with it. That can create a little bit of a trap, a kind of a very, very cryptical way in which the brain can say, well, maybe then you should go where the vice is rampant and live in the middle of that vice with full compassion and with detachment and this, and very often that can become just a trap in which you just get caught. And that is why I would use the word detachment by the way of this list, but at the same time I, I would allow the meaning, the extreme meaning of indifference, because the great spiritualists, either the yogis or the fathers of the desert or others of their caliber, they have given to us this example that whenever some people were living in negativity, in vice, they simply tried to help, but at the same time they have separated a lot. Theoretically, if the fathers of the desert were people who are cultivating celibacy, then, and if for them, for example, fornication was a vice, then they should have all gone and lived in the red light district, just because they wanted to be helping and giving an example to those who are fornicated and who are fornicating and who are living in this, which for them, at least subjectively, for them was a vice. But no, they went and lived as far as possible from that and they lived in monasteries and desert places and they were not putting up with that. And therefore they were like indifferent. You can say, why didn't... Uh, Saint Mary of Egypt, if she was such a woman and reformed from prostitution, if she was an ex-prostitute converted to the ways of purity and spirituality, why didn't she go to the red light district to bring more with her? She actually never stepped back in a red light district or anything like this. She was cultivating indifference. She simply stayed away from it. This attitude is more, it is one of the extremes involved here. And after this long parenthesis, uh, let us mention it again. Patanjali says, by performing Samyama on these characteristics, there come those particular powers, which simply says, there would be therefore uh, powers of the soul which correspond to friendliness, compassion, happiness and this indifference, detachment. Those powers do not have a name in particular, but they are related towards... they are related to those emotions. So the power of friendliness, the power of compassion, the power of happiness and the power of indifference or detachment by performing samyama on them, by practicing these to perfection, by focusing on them until you identify to them. Of course, you always have to meditate, and I recommend that you go back to chapter number 1, sutra number 33, and you reread again, and if you have the possibility to get my comment on those, re-listen to the comment which I have done then, in which I was showing these four attitudes, as antidotes to some poisons of the mind because there already the poisons of the mind were mentioned and then Patanjali says the correct attitude is rather this to have friendliness to some human aspects such as joy and pleasure to have compassion towards pain and the negative aspects 
to have happiness towards virtue and the practice of virtue and to manifest indifference or detachment towards any manifestation of, of vice or decadence. And therefore, you have to realize that the power of, for example, happiness is also related to the practice of virtue. Therefore, it is not really clear what Patanjali has meant. Only meditation shows us that when he says the power of happiness, that if you make some yama on happiness towards virtue, you actually obtain the power of happiness and at the same time the power of virtue. So therefore, uh, it is a double meaning here. There are two levels of this implication. Because he simply says, there come those particular powers. But it means, first of all, the emotion. Therefore, the capacity to cultivate friendliness, to cultivate compassion, to cultivate happiness, and in some situations to cultivate detachment, simply cutting off, as when you are confronted with various things of life. And at the same time, he means, because all these things are connected as through an invisible chain, Patanjali means that you get also the power of the status, of the state of life, which is described through them. This is very much a samyama on the astral body for learning to cultivate positive emotions. Like, read again, try to simply decide that for 15 days or so, you will try to cultivate some of these emotions. Such as every time when you see somebody practicing yama and niyama seriously, to cultivate happiness, to simply create in you, a, in yourself, a surge of happiness. Then, another sutra, this time, again based upon emotion on the astral body, is coming. The sutra number 23 says, by Samyama on the strength of an elephant, etc., the corresponding power is developed. The specific strength of various animals or other aspects, deities, forces of nature, and so on, is to be meditated upon in Samyama, then the same capacity can be developed in the adept of yoga. If he does Samyama on the mental alertness of a tiger, says a yogi, he can develop that mental alertness in himself. Similarly, if Samyama is practiced on the swiftness of Vayu, the wind or the wind god, depending which way you look at it, that agility can be developed by the yogin in himself. So here it is very clear. You meditate on a rock to develop the stability of the rock. You meditate on a tree to develop the peacefulness and the cosmic aspiration of the tree. You meditate on an elephant to obtain its force, its raw power. You meditate on the tiger, either as swiftness or as power or as any other quality which you see in the tiger, on the swiftness of the wind and a million other things. As most of you should know, in yoga, describing various elements of the universe through an animal symbolism 
is actually related to the astral body and it, is, it means a certain mood for example in each chakra there is a symbolic animal and those of you who have started taking the initiations of the chakras you know from the descriptions that that animal shows a certain mood like in Mulakara you feel like the elephant in Svadhisthana you feel like the crocodile or Makara in Manipura you feel like the ram in Anahata you feel like the antelope, the deer and so on and therefore <coughs> this idea with, that you meditate on an animal because it starts with the strength of the elephant these are again all emotions, feelings it's just a way of feeling oh I worked on Mulakara for 15 days and then I felt stronger than elephant this is typically an astral reaction and therefore now Patanjali goes away from those four root states from those four emotions from those four exemplary emotions which were friendliness, compassion, happiness and detachment and he goes more in detail he basically you can say that this sutra and the previous one are related the previous sutra was referring to four headline type of emotions and this one refers further on to almost any type of emotion therefore what it says is that if you copy you can copy an animal by performing a sort of neuro-linguistic programming type of modeling but you do not really use so many concrete elements you just use samyama however that samyama will definitely give you physical things you probably remember the example of the Tibetan yogi who was left by his master to meditate on the fact that he was a yak this Tibetan buffalo and when the master came back after a number of years the pupil said that he could not come out because his horns got stuck into the rocks of the cave and it was too narrow and he couldn't come out and then the master was very happy because he said that's a real concentration that's a real samyama this pupil is really doing some serious spiritual work because look how far, how intensely he has identified to a simple buffalo, to a simple animal thing. Basically, some, uh, Patanjali says, if you would perform samyama with a buffalo till you would feel that you have horns, you would have all the other qualities of the buffalo at the same time assimilated. When you get one, you get them all, like in Laya Yoga. If you get one finger, you get the whole hand. You get the package deal. Therefore, if you meditate on the elephant if you perform samyama on the strength of the elephant then automatically you develop the corresponding power which means also the corresponding chakra which comes together with it because everything comes through chakras if you perform samyama with an elephant then automatically that samyama will develop your Muladhara Chakra, inevitably and therefore we can find a lot of qualities that we may wish to develop in this way I remember always the 
fine of a I think originally it was a yoga teacher from somewhere in America if I remember correctly it was New York I cannot uh, vouch for any of those two but that's the residual memory which I have uh, about those things who some 20 years ago had suddenly conceived a form of funny yoga and this funny yoga was to imitate animals to imitate simple animals and the most easy to imitate and the most common was the cat so basically grown up people were going to a yoga studio and either they had pictures or images or a living cat there and they were supposed to do what the cat did if the cat took its hind leg and scratched itself behind the ear you were supposed to try to do the same to take your foot and put it here and try to scratch if, you, if the cat was stretching like this you are supposed to stretch like it this simple method is an NLP with the cat. You are just, just you are actually modeling the cat and modeling it physically. You get into its mind. You develop a resonance with its mind and with the mind of all the cats, with the totemic spirit of the cat, and you start entering into the universe of the cat. What would the advantage of that be? This teacher of yoga or, or whatever it was because again this is not yoga but it's an excellent illustration of the principle had demonstrated, had discovered that her students, patients, whatever you want to call them they were getting much more healthy from this they were healing miraculously and if you take into account the fact that the cat has nine lives that the cat is famed for its vitality and things like this then it means that strictly from a vital standpoint strictly from a pranic standpoint to imitate a cat is not that stupid of course it is stupid because it puts you in Svadhisthana completely so from the standpoint of the level of consciousness it's not a big deal to imitate a cat you should imitate the Garuda then the mythological bird of Vishnu which is in Ajna Chakra but of course we haven't got any Garudas around have we so how to imitate a Garuda the world is full of cats and we can always imitate a cat or a dog or an elephant or something of the kind and that is why uh, again and again there are all kinds of illustrations of this imitating what kind of animal do you like what kind of animal would you like to be what the presence of what animal you like and so on and in this way you are going to understand some of these aspects actually we human beings often perform partial samyama with some of the elements from our environment there is a saying among dog owners which says that every dog looks like its owner you should look at the dog and you see the owner when they go on the street the dog looks like the owner so there is a big difference between somebody sporting a poodle and somebody sporting a San Bernard dog there is a big difference between somebody sporting a Spanish um, I don't know what the Spanish or something and somebody sporting a bulldog or a uh, I don't know what other fighting type of dog and therefore automatically there is a samyama as you can see automatically which we do and simply Patanjali pushes this to the extreme he pushes it to the limit of yoga of course this will then not be applied only to animals it would be applied to other kingdoms of life you can perform samyama with a rock like the Zen masters did you can perform samyama with the ocean you can 
for some quality which you want to take from that. You can perform some yama with a tree and of course you can perform some yama even with human beings. Exception made because Patanjali has a separate sutra about that, about the human beings that have reached spiritual enlightenment and which will create a corresponding samyama. But the idea functions even there. Therefore, uh, you can, for example, try to take a very exceptional human being, somebody who has failed through something very, very unusual. I don't know, let's take the Russian sex machine, Rasputin. And if you make some yama with Rasputin, you become like Rasputin. It's as simple as that. Therefore, in the same way, it works with human beings. You can copy anything from a human being, even physical things. Remember that Ramakrishna Paramahamsa, when he was making some yama with Radha, he had to stop at some point because he started throwing breath and he was having a bizarre bleeding starting in his perineum. And when he made some yama with Hanuman, the monkey god, he started growing a tail, an actual physical tail. His vertebras were growing into a tail, and he had to stop because else he would get out of the human condition. And therefore, some yama can be pushed as far as one wishes, really, if you are crazy enough or if you are insisting enough. That is why people can copy body types. There are so many women who look at the picture of another woman and they say, I want to look like her. And if you do it for 10 years, remarkable changes will occur. <coughs> if you believe in yourself and if you do this thing powerfully enough. If you just look and say, oh, I'm never going to be able to look like this. The heck with it. Then of course it will not happen. But if you obsessively, obsessively, obsessively cultivate a certain feature, you can therefore acquire the characteristics of another human being, or you can acquire the power, the chakra power, related to different animals. That is why, again, some people, like witches, were getting accompanied by cats. Other people, for example, the the kings always <coughs> they loved to cultivate all kind of hunting animals they were hunting with falcons and hawks and uh, panthers and things like these the, the, the kings always liked predator, predators animals that were used for hunting and so on and they were kind of surrounded by it and they were kind of identifying with this power and therefore and that, that's why they even had the seals no, Richard the Lionheart and the law, the lions of England and others and others having as symbols eagles and bears and tigers and lions and I don't know what else and dragons and so on therefore this identification is subtle and it means the learning or the assimilation of a certain psychic energy which is in a certain way like a siddhi is like developing a paranormal capacity. Indeed, if you perform some yama with an elephant for 10 years, it is possible that at some point you have some physical proudness which is out of the common and which is plainly paranormal. Then it is not just a linear aspect. So, 
this idea is pretty clear, it sounds pretty childish, like what am I going to do? Take the photo of an elephant and start doing some yama with it two hours every day. Take the photo of whatever else you want to make some yama with from this standpoint of qualities, of psychic qualities. Like I want the strength, I want the speed, I want the concentration, I want the health, I want the this or I want the that and therefore apply it and you will see that these things start actually happening exactly as I said in the example with the dogs and their owners which not coincidentally share some characteristics together. Then there comes uh, another one of the last of the subtle samyamas as I said the further we go through the text the samyamas become more and more concrete here a lot of explanations will be necessary I have even written a few things down the sutra number 24 said, says the knowledge of subtle the veiled or distant object is gained by focusing on them the light of the superphysical faculty. It is a very, very uh, shrewd sutra which refers to qualities such as remote viewing. And first I will read a few things and then I will give you comments. It was said in the sutra 36 of the first chapter that a faculty called Vishoka can be developed in the mind. The mind can therefore develop a related superphysical faculty which is called Jyotishmati Pravriti, the illuminating faculty. In this sutra the word Pravriti is used to indicate that faculty. By developing this illuminating faculty in the mind which is capable of penetrating everywhere, the yogin can see hidden or obscure objects. When the illuminating faculty is directed towards a person or an object which is missing for an instance, it can immediately be known where that person or thing is and in which stand. Thus, treasures which are buried underground or objects which are very distant can be directly observed. Even subtle things like atoms, objects from parallel worlds or causal connections can be perceived. There are two methods of practicing this. One is the Vedic method and the other is the yogic method. The Vedic, out of which some tantric methods have also derived, that will not be discussed right now because it is a basically ritualistic method. But nevertheless, that is related with the cosmic powers and others, so actually it can be transformed into a yogic method. The yogic practices, it is the crystals that play a very important part. In South India there is a particular science called Anajanam, meant not known. It consists of different methods for projecting the superphysical light through a crystal. The same thing can be done with less success by the reflection of the light from other shining surfaces, but it is first necessary for the person to have developed the superphysical faculty called this Jyotishmati Pravriti. This sutra is entirely again about Ajna Chakra. This illuminating faculty is a form of clairvoyance coming from Ajna Chakra. Some of its aspects refer to the physical world that will be the physical projection in Ajna Chakra. Those of you who know about the 
levels and sub-levels of the universe you understand better this statement then there is a subtle projection a subtle aspect of Ajna Chakra and there is even a causal aspect this automatically generates different forms of clairvoyance this is actually the mystery of many clairvoyant people the reason being that actually they do not have the same type of clairvoyance clairvoyants who have been studied by parapsychologists some of them for decades with very solid programs of research they have been demonstrated to have specialities for example some clairvoyants can be very good at one thing such as for example identifying a disease such as looking at your body and reading a disease but at the same time they can be completely zero at finding a lost child another clairvoyant can be excellent in finding a lost child but he cannot tell you anything about your state of health another clairvoyant can be excellent about talking to the spirit of your grandmother who is dead so therefore contacting spirits in the astral world but at the same time he can be completely zero at healing or at any other physical abilities that is why this depends of course of the sub-levels and of other such elements and it simply says that this illuminating faculty from Ajna Chakra is here globally described it is not discriminated like which part of it is alluded to it is only said generally that the knowledge of subtle, veiled or distant objects is gained by focusing on them the light of the superphysical faculty therefore here we have also the detail which is given by some of the commentators that's where I picked up some of those details from about Anajanam's uh, use of crystals and others that basically uh, all the, in a lot of the occult history of mankind people have used magic instruments for triggering the clairvoyance some of the most known methods was to look on the surface of the water to see in the reflection of the water like you have some examples in uh, the Lord of the Rings where there is this uh, powerful sorceress woman who is practicing clairvoyance on the surface of the water and it's a typical, typical thing on shining surfaces like mirrors that's where we have the science of magic mirrors that you put a mirror at a certain angle with natural light and looking in that you start seeing images which are images of the future, images of the subtle world and others depends, not all of them are the same because it all depends on the one that sees what the one that sees sees the one that sees is the filter for example Nostradamus was looking into a fire but the fire is on Manipura Chakra what has that got to do with Nostradamus and his prophetic abilities? nothing really because what Nostradamus did in his prophecies was not from Manipura it was from Vishuddha and Ajna therefore it was not strictly speaking related to fire or to the fire element some people speculate that perhaps Nostradamus was astrologically a Sagittarius as it most often is being quoted and thus the fire element held him he felt more at home because of the fire element 
but actually therefore Nostradamus was looking in fire and he was actually seeing in Akasha he was seeing elements or images from the future <coughs> which again are not directly related to Manipura Chakra or to the fire element and therefore here everything depends on the capacity of the seer that, that part Patanjali does not really mention he says if you have this super physical this light of the spirit which is Ajna Chakra so if you have some arousing of Ajna Chakra as I translated it here the super physical faculty then you, you by focusing it and the meaning is Samyama not just focusing it focusing it a lot until you start being absorbed into it by focusing it on the subtle veiled or distant object subtle is quite clear veil can easily be translated as causal things of the future and the past and distant is simply distant like the skill which today in parapsychology or in new age is called by many remote viewing therefore we are having different abilities here and all of them are included into the same chapter we, there, we also know as mentioned that in the, at the time of Patanjali it was known that some yogis were cultivating these things with the help of crystals that was one of the secret use of crystals and that is of course the famous story about the crystal ball clairvoyant women were gazing into a crystal ball and it was even said that if that ball is made of glass and not of crystal then it is not good enough it was supposed to be crystal and uh, the crystal will do the job actually powerful clairvoyant people they didn't even need a crystal and sometimes they could do it on a shining surface on a vapor on the reflection of light on the third one water shining in a bowl or something some of them were so powerful that they didn't even need that for example Gerard Croisset the Dutch clairvoyant who had been researched for more than 20 or 30 years by parapsychologists in Holland he was able to give the location of disappeared person and disappeared children and objects and things like this with an amazing precision and he never had the need to look in any crystal or in any bowl or in any mirror or in anything he sometimes was so fast that when they phoned to him and it was a phone which was universal that means it could have been as well his brother calling him to say hi how are you tonight uh, he was just picking up the phone and even before the person saying something he said the child that you are looking for is dead, it's in a lake I can see two red boats there is this and this and this and he was describing the place with such accuracy that eventually the family and the policy could and the police they could make sense of it and just go and find the dead body or sometimes the living person or others and therefore it's not about crystals and about shining surfaces but this is a help for apprentices when you want to develop this kind of ability exactly as when meditating on karma is too abstract and you can help yourself by astrology and by omens exactly in the same way <coughs> theoretically you can project the super physical light faculty which means work on Ajna Chakra energize your Ajna Chakra and then when you are on Ajna Chakra you can focus on that subject you can do it without any support 
but if you are feeling that you need some support then you may use a crystal or a mirror or some of the things which I have described which is nothing else but a prop in this way you can understand because this leads us no doubt to some of the extraordinary accomplishments in yoga out of one uh, out of which one is no doubt meditating on various subjects you go to a yogi and you say well what about this and he says well I've never thought about this I need to meditate on this subject <coughs> give me some time come back tomorrow or something because I will meditate on this and many people ask me and ask in general how do you meditate on something I mean we have all learned Laya Yoga and we know how to meditate on a sound or at least to merge with it but what does it mean to meditate on I don't know what like a subject I have to meditate on the subject of a missing child or on the subject of uh, what has become of my grandmother I can wonder if my grandmother is in hell or she is in heaven you know so somebody can say well I could find this but I need some time to meditate give me a photo of your grandma and I will try to meditate how would that be done because for many people this is where it all ends like we understand technical meditations from yoga but what does it mean to meditate on my grandmother and her faith basically it means that first you have to be in a state of meditation because it means first you have to have that super physical faculty which means first you have to open your Ajna Chakra how do you open your Ajna Chakra? by going into meditation how do you go into meditation? the good old way which you know from Laya Yoga which means therefore it's something like this I would like to meditate let's take this stupid example which is not very brilliant I would like to meditate on my grandmother who died and so on I first do Laya Yoga for 25 minutes and this puts me in a state of meditation this activates my Ajna Chakra if I use the proper mantra of course it has to be done with the proper mantra and in the moment when I am in that state of deep meditation which everybody who has done six months of meditation can recognize you must know what that state is because you have been there a lot of times when you are in that state of meditation then without changing the state of mind even you can keep saying the mantra a little bit from time to time you simply move your attention onto that subject in this case my grandmother my deceased grandmother but I do not start falling into the emotional thoughts which I have about grandma I am like an observer from the third eye and therefore I'm simply analyzing it's like I'm thinking and there come to my mind which is in an expanded state because meditation is a controlled expansion of the mind so I am with my mind partly expanded and in that expanded state I turn upon grandma and I start seeing a lot of things many of those things I never saw them in my daily life because for example for me grandma was a very ideal person and now when I'm looking with Ajna Chakra I see that she was a gossipy person I see that very often she could be a bitch I see that this and that and therefore I see exactly the way God would see I see in an objective way 
I am not biased, I am not, I am in meditation, and from meditation I can see a lot of things. And suddenly, the implications can dawn upon me, and I can even have a phenomena of resonance in which I can see or feel where gravity